Hey, welcome to the bullpen session. This is Patrick Lillis, and thank you for listening. Glad you're here. Glad you're healthy. Hope everything is good. I uh, hope you had a good Thanksgiving. Um, yeah, excited. It's uh, weird to feel the end of the last month of 2020, and oddly, I don't, you know, I don't think any of us had a normal holiday, uh, but something about it felt I like that holiday it's my favorite Thanksgiving because it's whoever you shared it with you know I like it's whoever you sat down and shared a meal with and gave thanks that's the holiday and uh, so in some way that is normal uh, regardless if you created a new tradition for yourself or not um, but I hope you had a good holiday and I hope uh, as we venture into December starting to get a sense of normalcy after eight months of what we're doing here in the COVID world. Um, also feel a sense of optimism, I think, probably because the election is over and, you know, starting to get the idea that we're going to get some calm in our day-to-day -day life and also believe there'll be a vaccine uh, in the next year. I don't, not tomorrow, but soon. And, uh, you know, that's given me a sense of hope and also just had a great conversation with the uh, playwright and actor Lisa Ramirez and found out during the conversation we had more more in common than I thought. I did not know that she was such a baseball fan and that was fun. You'll hear a little bit of that in the beginning. Um, also we're both sober. That I did know. Um, interesting how that helps to shape your career forward uh, and uh, and just the types of plays that we both enjoy, the foundation, sort of the great American play that you'll hear her talk about. She actually wrote a play that, that I saw to the bone that I thought was incredible. And it is, in my mind, one of the great American plays because it goes towards social justice in the way of Odette's. And uh, she's having a benefit. They're doing a benefit reading of that play. Um, the Working Theater is. It's on their website. I think it's theworkingtheater.org. And December 7th at 7.30 is the reading with the original cast. And you should check it out. The benefit is they are benefiting an uh, organization that works with uh, migrant workers. And yeah, definitely check it out. December 7th at 7.30. That's uh, this Monday. And yeah, we talked a lot. We had a great time having this conversation. It's really joyful. I think you'll appreciate it. And one of the things that you'll hear in the theme that she talked about is, you know, not yet and saying no to work and and said she wasn't ready and she would do it later. And I thought that was amazing because it takes a bit of confidence to know it's going to come later or the time isn't right. And I think in COVID, when we feel that there's you know, this lacking of opportunity, we feel like we should do everything we can and uh, or are, is offered. And it's just good to remember that we don't have to take everything just because someone else offered it. You know, don't don't turn it down, always consider it. But it's good if it's good, you can take this opportunity to really build the work you want to be building and putting yourself in a position to do the work you want to be doing when when some form of new normalcy or returns. And, you know, we have to pay our bills, we have to make a living. But 
I don't, I just like the idea that we don't, not to take away that feeling of desperation, that like, oh, I have to do whatever because what's normal isn't here. And scarcity, you know, and I, I just love the idea that she, for whatever reason, may have been confidence, may have been insecurity, may have been, she had a better plan for herself, but I love that she did not operate out of a sense of scarcity, like this isn't the only time. And you'll hear her talk about that. Um, but it's a joyful conversation and I'm glad you're listening and I will let you hear me talk with Lisa now. So play ball. Yeah, I was actually in Times Square when um, the Yankees won the World Series. And it was totally an accident because I was seeing a friend in the, uh, was it called some, in the next room, the vibrator place? Oh, yeah. So my friend Danetta was understudying and she just happened to go on that night. So we went. And then when we walked out of the theater, Times Square was like, it must be on New Year's Eve, right? <laughs> and I was there for like, it was so amazing. It was so amazing. It's not anything that I would actually necessarily go to, but it, you know, that's the beauty of New York. You just happen upon these things sometimes. And then you're like, uh, that's yeah, that's it. All of a sudden you're in the middle of the greatest, biggest small town in the world. Exactly. Yeah. Um, and it's interesting just cause you were a Giants fan. One of the things I wanted to ask about actually is your ability. Are you from, you're from, San Francisco. Well, I grew up in I grew up in Santa Cruz and Berkeley, so Northern California. Yeah, just able to seems like maintain a very healthy relationship with both places. I know. Uh, yeah, I mean, I'm very lucky in that. Uh, yeah, I've I guess I've always been pretty flexible, and, I've, and I've always been able to live on on very little because I grew up with very little. So, I think that's like something as a writer or as a person in the theater that you either uh like now I'm like <laughs> 50 and just like oh maybe I should write for tv maybe <laughs> maybe I want to buy a little cottage someday or like uh you know I don't know so but it I've been so happy in theater and yeah. I've been so happy in the little communities that that I'm part of you know I I don't know if I would still be in the business if I didn't have that yeah, I, I agree with that 100%. When you said, oh, maybe I should write for TV, I'm like, right, to my financial lack of flourishing, I flourish in all these communities that I love. And they, fulfill, they fulfill me in a different way. You know, they, you Same. Know. You know, um, well, I acted for so many years, like 20 years before starting to write. And, and then uh, the first play that I produced, I got, or I, not that I wrote, and I had got an offer to write for HBO and it was like, I guess, 10 years ago, I guess around then. And uh, at the time I was married and uh, I said, no. And they were like, <laughs> my husband was so mad at me. And I was like, I, my reason was not because I thought I was too cool or whatever. I just felt like if I did that, that I would never learn how to write a play. And so I told this woman, like, I want to write five plays and then I'll, then I could write for TV. I want to like accomplish it. I don't want to just go like that. And so I'm actually working with that woman right now on, on a separate project. And she's like, it was the first time that she went to go see somebody's play. And she said, most people invited me to play because she was the head of creative 
development or whatever. Most people invited me to, so that that was the outcome. They wanted it. But <laughs> she goes, you were so weird. You were like, no, I just, but that was true. And, and I feel like now I know how to write plays. Although every time I approach one, I feel like I forgot, but you know, that's, you know, that's, that's the journey. That's normal. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's good to forget every time because you're like, you, you, there's not a formula to how it comes out of you. But yeah, know. and each one is a new beast. Like each one is a, a, a like a different puzzle to solve or to put together. Hopefully, hopefully, <laughs> hopefully right? Like hopefully the writers I like, you can't tell. You can't tell. Like they don't have the same style in every play. Like Irene Fornes, you can't read like Mud and then read Fefo and Her Friends and know that it was the same writer. So true. That's what I love. Yeah. What was the what was the play that got got the HBO offer? Oh, it was my first play. It was called uh, Exit Cuckoo Nanny and Motherland, right. and it was I started. Eve Ensler actually dared me to write it because I was uh, here and I was working as a nanny, and I was hearing all these stories from these women who were like from other countries leaving their kids and all these injustices, and I was like, I'm going to be a bartender or a waitress, this is too depressing. And she was, she was kind of a mentor of mine. I had met her in San Francisco. And uh, she was like, no, you have to write about this. You have to write, you know, listen, listen, and, and write this down. And so I, I took a class with this uh, poet, a woman named Veronica Golis at the 92nd Street Y. And um, I didn't want to study with a playwright because I thought I wanted to find my own way, right? And so I did a reading of it with four women at Cornelia Street Cafe in the basement. I think I got a check for $25 or something. And I, like my favorite actress friends and I read it. And then Eve Ensler and James Lacine were there and they were like, Lisa, this is a solo show. And I was like, but I don't want to write a solo show. And they're like, you know, all these women, you can play all these women. And so then Coleman Domingo ended up directing it and working theater produced it. And so that was the show. And um, yeah, I mean, it wasn't like I didn't, I just was used to working with people. I, I never had that, like, you know, like, I mean, not, no, well, maybe I am a little judgmental, but when people say I'm working on a one woman show or a one man show, I'm always kind of like, oh, you know, but, uh, but it was done in Ireland uh, in the last um, few years ago with four actresses. So I went back to the original, you know. Yeah, where they play different. I would have liked to have seen it, but uh early writing was really traumatic because I think, I think I always felt like I wasn't smart enough. I was, I think I probably like, if I was a kid now, I would be diagnosed with one of those, you know, one of those ADHD or OCD or whatever, like, cause I had a hard time focusing. And, uh, when I found acting, it was the only thing that I could completely focus on into like the wee hours. And so, but I had such respect for writers. And so, yeah, I, it's, I don't know. I just think uh, like I was always the actor when around the table, when actors would paraphrase, I'd be like, that's not <laughs> inside. That's not what's on the page. Why are you saying like after every, uh, <laughs> or, you know, yeah. why are you saying, why are you saying fucking the writer didn't write that? <laughs> <laughs> I think well, hey, the discipline is appreciated, but what, um, I'm interested in that. When did you start acting? I started acting in, uh, in 85 maybe, but I was, uh, I was, 
I was studying to be a psychologist because I was a really good listener. And I, I mean, I was like, in a way, I was like my mom's psychologist <laughs> growing up. <laughs> but um, and then I decided to be an actor. And then I I, my, I went in, I saw uh, it was like a replay, a remake but not a remake, but a replay. It was like a Kramer versus Kramer, actually. But it wasn't. It wasn't the year Kramer versus Kramer came out. But I saw Dustin Hoffman. People were like, "Oh, Meryl Streep effect." No, it was like Dustin Hoffman's performance. And my mom was working at a cosmetic department, like in a department store in Berkeley, and I couldn't stop crying. Like he opened that valve in, and um. I, I went in, I'm like, I want to be an actor. I want to be an actor. And my mom was like, what? Cause like nobody in my family. And she was like, okay, well you got to pay for your own acting classes. So I started studying with this woman in Berkeley called at the time she was in Berkeley, Jean Shelton. And she was uh, a very well-known acting teacher in the Bay area, had worked with Stella Adler, was married to Wendell Phillips, who was blacklisted. He was in the group theater. Uh, he was in actually waiting for Lefty. Clifford Odets wrote a part for him called The Actor, but they they took it out because of the communist under. Anyway, I ended up marrying into that family and building a theater in San Francisco. Like that's a fast forward, like over a 10 year period. And, uh, but Jean, I was so scared of her. I didn't even want to take her class. It's like, this is sort of a pattern. Like I didn't want to take her class. I wanted to be in the beginning class. <laughs> And then when they said I could move into her class, I wanted one more beginning class. It was like, cause I was so afraid of her cause she was so, but I would peek in and watch her teach. She was like an Uta Hagen type. Yeah. And then, uh, yeah. And I, uh, she told me to stay in school and, and do as many plays as I could in college. And, and uh, she called it get seasoning, get seasoned. And then, but then I started auditioning and I started working at the magic theater. I did, Barry Child, like the Sam Shepard. And I did, I did Olan Jones's one of her plays and she had been married to Sam and Sam had left and it was like, but I was in that San Francisco new play, worked with Forness and all those Padua Hills, you know, yeah. people, Julie Bear and uh, John Stepling, you know, and I was just like the youngest, I was the youngest and I loved, I was like the Paola, right? Yeah. yeah, yeah, of that of that group. That's when I met when I met Paula. I had this recognition thing with her, like uh, it was, and I still do. Yeah, it's funny. We will eventually jump ahead, but seeing her act in your play was such a thrill because I was like, because when I met her, she was denying that she was an actor. <laughs> I love her so much. We had a, a yeah, we had Florencia actually set us up because I couldn't find the right Lupe. Like we had, we had a few Lupe's read and they were good. They were great. They, actually Jasmine read Jasmine Zephus Jones read, did one of the early readings and she was great, but, but then she also wasn't Latina. Right. So I was like uh, looking for the perfect, like butch kind of, and Florencia was like, yeah, she's not really, she says she's not an actor, but, and Paola, I, I think I wrote to her on Facebook, I messaged her and I was like, I hope you don't think this is creepy because it's just like not, but Florencia said to, will you read my play? Will you look at Lupe? And if it speaks to you, can we meet for coffee? We met for coffee and we like ended up talking for four hours. While we were talking, this big spider came down. 
<laughs> we were like, well, that means something. But I, I love her so much still. But it's amazing that just that period going back to the San Francisco and the magic. I mean, that's an per- amazing period of time. And the I had the worst stage fright because that was really, Barry Child was the first big, big, it was like an equity show, like hundreds of people auditioned for it. And they actually cast somebody else. It was down to me and another person. And this was before cell phones. Right. So the stage manager who was kind of like grew to like me because there were like three or four callbacks called to tell me I was working at iMagnon, which is like a Barney's, you know, but part time. And uh, she's like had to call me there. And she was from Texas and she was like, I'm sorry, he decided to go with someone else. And I was like, I had all the women and alterations praying for all the Italian women alterations praying for me. I was like, I was at the age where like I was telling everybody, you know, everything like, like as if they were interested. And then she called me back. I was crying. And I was like, she called me back like 10 minutes later. And he's like, he changed his mind. He decided to go with you. And so like, uh, I was paralyzed for the first three weeks of rehearsal because he kept giving me notes that I didn't understand, like. She's kind of like Patty Smith or she's a little bit tougher or, and so then, then I'd come in and he'd be like, yeah, but she's not mean. And uh, then he, his girlfriend, the director's girlfriend was playing Hallie, you know, the, the matriarch. He had, he had her take me out to sushi and I knew that he, and I was so overly sensitive that I was like, I knew that the reason she was taking me out to sushi was to loosen me. <laughs> and then one night we all went out drinking to this place called Original Joe's, which was like the hangout. And I just had a couple glasses of wine. He's like, this, exactly, this is who she is. And, and after that, I was fine. I was like, oh, just be myself. <laughs> right, you the know, hardest like, thing to come to, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Great. But yeah, I loved San Francisco. and uh, But I, I studied with Stella Adler when she came out there because she used to come out and uh, around that time. And I... I had all these things happen at the same time where Stella offered me a full scholarship in New York and I didn't go, I didn't come from a family. I mean, it's kind of like makes me emotional, but I didn't come from a family that went anywhere. So like when I got that offer, uh, my mom was like, what will you do? How will you like, so it was just kind of like, so in the back of my mind was always New York, always New York. And uh, it took me like a kind of a while to get here, but then, it's not the back of your mind, back of your mind, because somebody, somebody tempted you and made the offer. Not, not because, not before Stella said go to New York, right? It wasn't New York wasn't a goal until that was talked about. No, I mean I was always obsessed with New York, even when I was little. Like I used to pretend I was Rhoda Morganston. Like I would put like the bandana on, and like look in the mirror, and I'd be like, my name is Rhoda Morganston. I was born in the Bronx. <laughs> Or like I was obsessed with uh, in high school, you know, like superficial, superficially like Bianca Jagger at Studio 54 or like, you know, that kind of thing. But yeah, not until Stella, like, yeah, because she was Stella. And we had this whole thing where my everybody was like, just don't show fear. And so like I did Cleopatra for her and uh, she stopped me and I was like, okay, just open, open. Like, and I, she was like, we're not. And because I wasn't afraid, I understood what she was saying. She was like, stop. And she's like, we're not in Scotland. I was like, we're in Egypt. And in Egypt, everything is expressed with a smile. 
And then she went, even pain. And I knew exactly. She was basically telling me that I was playing Lady Macbeth, right? And so I was like, okay, can I start again? <laughs> she was like, so then I like went behind the curtain and I did this whole like whatever. And, and at the end, she got up with her cane and people were clapping and she kissed me. She kissed me. And she was like, a baby was just born on the stage, bravo. You know, she was so, but I knew what she meant because I wasn't afraid in that moment. Right. <laughs> you know, before and after, I, you know, but uh, so then, yeah, I got offered a full scholarship, but I didn't go. I didn't go. I, I love that there's this little cautious barometer that's like, no, not yet. You know, you should, you should write. It's a- interesting to say that because I, I, it's a, yeah, I, but I literally just made the connection between the HBO thing and the acting class thing and Stella, I guess, too. Yeah. Like, I'm not ready yet. I was reading some something today or yesterday about you're never going to be ready. You know, I've been reading shot. about that lately, too. Mm. You're never going to be ready. And so you're you just do it because you're not ready. So you might as well try. And also this other idea that we try to imagine what the future will be like. So we imagine it with everything we have already done. Mm. There's no way to, you know, you're just going to try to recreate like, oh, if I move to New York, it'll be like this. That's like, well, you don't know. You actually haven't been to New York. You haven't had that experience. Yeah, it wasn't at all what I thought it was going to be. I was like imagining like a black turtleneck and like, you know, a loft. I mean, because people, a lot of people, and, you know, super skinny and very like smoky kind of, Patty Smithy, Anuka Me, like, and it was none of those. It was like none of those. It was just like Lisa E. <laughs> Lisa. Yeah. yeah, no, it's funny. My New York, yeah, my New York looks a lot like Patrick. Mm. <laughs> you know, not at all the way it was started in the movies. What What got you here, and how long did it take? God, it took. Uh, well, then I married Chris Phillips. And, and we built a theater together and then we got divorced and I lost the theater, which was like a huge loss. And I moved to Los Angeles for a bit. And then I moved back to San Francisco and I was in the middle of like probably the best relationship I've ever had. However, I had stopped, I had started drinking, I stopped drinking for five years when I was married because he stopped drinking. And so I thought that the reason that I stopped drinking or started drinking was because or the only reason that I stopped was because of him. That was in my mind. Although alcoholism is like rampant in my family. And so I started drinking again and I was with somebody who was sober, who uh, was a beautiful actor and writer. It was probably the best relationship I've ever had. And he's, his name was Luis Saguar. Anyway, in the middle of that relationship, an apartment opened up <laughs> in Brooklyn and I moved. It was so crazy. There was like no reason for me to move other than like, I, I and I was just like, if I don't go, and, be, and I think it's because I was drinking. Like, I don't think if I stay, if I was so, it was like, so it was rhinoceros reasoning. It was like, I have an apartment, it's $500 a month. And then Louise came out. And anyway, then I, then I ended up like, it took me a few years. So I came out in, uh, came out here in, uh, I think 99. And then in 2001, I got sober. Like I literally did a swan dive into alcohol. But I had to do it away from my family, I think. Uh, the swan dive or the sober? 
I had to do both. Yeah. 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 But I think uh, I'm grabbing my coffee. Hold on. Like, I think that uh, my brother was an alcoholic and he was a ballet dancer and he was so severe that like he would always drink to the point of hospitalization. And I always kind of compared my drinking to his because, and so I didn't think I was, I just thought, and, but when I was away from everybody and the, the, the constraint or the, of my mom and you know the my mom's irish and like the whole kind of like what will people think then i was like all bets were off so it's the best it was like the worst thing and the best thing that ever happened right the worst of the best of times it was the worst time yeah yeah oh. and then out of that i started writing out of that i started writing it's that because i read that about your 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 solo it was it a solo show your uh on so it's a movement piece. The one about my brother? Yeah. Oh, Potadu. Yeah, Potadu lost my shoe. Yeah, Angelina commissioned me to write that. Uh, yeah, the whole premise was that it was my year sober anniversary and that I w- took ballet class, which, which I always hate. Like the first line is me in like this whole, the prima ballerina outfit. And I'm just like looking so miserable. And so the first line is like, I hate ballet. I fucking hate it. And I hate all the things, you know, I list all the things I hate about it. But my brother was a ballet dancer. I love my brother. So it's the whole premise is me taking ballet, which I did in real life, uh, to try to retrace my brother's steps and and to try to understand why I survived and he didn't. And uh, yeah, that was cool. And then I have another a big play about him called all fall down, which hasn't been, hasn't been produced yet, but uh, we were about to do a, a, a big workshop of it uh, at Cherry Lane with the, I think the Liz Smith project or she Liz Smith funded women. Like uh, anyway, we were about to do it in March and we had an amazing cast. We have Ellen McLaughlin was going to play the mother and John Rua, the, the sun and it was so basically it's a play that takes place in an abandoned house it's very it's my version of glass menagerie and there's these three characters called the chorus of the past that are also like a a ballet decor and they live in the cabinets and the cubbies of the house and they move the action forward so the character of bobby my like is sort of after my brother he's a ghost in the house and it takes place the day of his funeral and uh lisa peterson we're still working on it, but uh, I look forward to when we can do it because it's it's a big play, <laughs> slightly gothic, and it has like she says it's Tennessee Williams like meets Pina Bausch, <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, that's what <laughs> that's what I'm going for. <laughs> but that's I don't know if anybody can set out to do that, but that's a good goal to hit. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, I did another, I did a dance theater piece called Art of Memory. That was a collaboration with a dance company, which at first was hell, but then it ended up being really cool. I'm trying to figure out how to ask you about that, but how, okay. I don't want to know, not exactly about why it was hell, but it was interesting because I was looking and doing a little research, you know, besides what I knew. And I saw a lot, I saw the, the, I lost my shoe and I saw the dance piece and I thought, how did, did dance play into your work and how did that seem to be in your writing early on, at least it was part of it. Yeah. It's so funny. Cause I was talking about this with somebody the other day and I'm like, I don't know if it's because of my brother. Like, I mean, cause like he was a ballet dancer and I feel like 
like there's a part of me that puts him in every piece. So I don't know, like that's part of it, but it's also that I've always been super physical. Um, but I've never, I never trained as a dancer, but I'm almost like Lucille Ball, really good at like <laughs> copying, like copying people. <laughs> but, uh, and I've also been a little clumsy. So, but I love the mix of, of grace and clumsiness. I always have, but I think like, I think I, when my brother died, we were the only two creatives in the family and he was with the Oakland Ballet for 15 years. He was a beautiful dancer, but the dance theater piece just came to me. The, this company approached me and asked me to, to write this piece on how women process memory. And uh, I was like, uh, and they gave me all these like really kind of like goddessy poems. And I was like, the, this, and, and I ended up framing it with Jorge Luis Borges's The Library of Babel. And then just like cre recreating all these fractured fairy tales. And uh, they were the chorus of stories and they lived under this house. And also the mad woman and like Bertha, the mad woman in the attic and the Bronte sisters. And I don't know, I just, it was basically just like, it was a huge experiment. But, but then Sean was like, my brother, I feel like I, there's always somebody named Sean on every show that I've worked on since he passed away. There's always like a techie person or a, and I like, I heard Christopher Walken always adds like a one little dance move in every performance. And I think I, I like when I heard that, I love that. I think I, I think I do that. And also just to make my brother laugh. Cause I'm not super graceful. <laughs> right, he can appreciate the, the irony. Exactly. Yeah. Right. And even into the bone, there's there's a movement aspect. There's like the the factory and where all the women are moving in unison. And I love that. I love that. No, it's incredible. It, it, it's funny. I thought about that moment in the play. I thought about that. That play really stuck with me. I mean, we can. Funny. It was like, how'd you get to writing? How'd you do that? Forget it. I'll jump to to the bone. Like that. Yeah. How did that play come about? And I want to say, like, really, like. And what you know, I'm jumping actually a little bit, but what you it feels like you're 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 as we talked about dueling, not dueling, being able to have dual multiple communities. You're actually seems very successful at balancing writing and acting, you know, and and, um, and I feel like I've seen you and and a little bit right but from to the since i saw to the bone i've seen you in everything like i've you know mm. and like it became this moment where i'm like okay what what the hell was that play that play was great and uh, oh thank you and also it was i directed a play at the cherry lane uh in december november december and i you know it was inspired by like going into the going into three-quarter thrust in the round because i was like oh to the bone was also the best use of that space yes yeah yeah it's like that now it's like that now i was just in there this morning just i was just sitting in there this morning but okay so well to the bone is like mark pleasant from working theater they produced my first play which was Exacuku, and it did pretty well and we had like uh i was working with domestic workers united which was the and you know prior to that even going up to albany and buses and like lobbying for the domestic workers bill of rights and so it was really in line with uh the working theater's mission to 
you know, bring communities of uh, like labor, labor organizations and communities into the theater. And so he, we had a meeting or we had like the, what do you call it? A debriefing afterwards. Like, well, I thought that went pretty well. And are, are you thinking about writing anything else? And I was like, <laughs> it's like, I go, well, I would love to take a crack at the great American play. And he was like, <laughs> okay. And I'm like, because I had read an article in some labor publication about this uh, community of immigrant workers up in Sullivan County and both egg processing plants and poultry plants. And so I was like, I would love to write like a of mice and men kind of play, but with Latina women. And so he so he just was like, OK, I'm let's commission you. And so I made all these phone calls. Everybody hung up on with uh, hung up on me, and then I uh, met this woman named Sandy Oxnard, who had worked in a clinic up there and was was a local um, uh, activist and outreach worker, along with his priest father, Father Richard uh, Witt Dewitt, and uh, she talked to me and she was like, "Come on up, I'll introduce you to to the women." And so I went up there over a period of six months and like talked to different people, went in different people's houses. Like that, the character that I played, Olga, her name was Olga. She was like, she was like, I was just watching her and listening to her. And I was like, oh my God, this is like the Central American Ana Magnani. It's like, <laughs> I'm playing her. And then and then she had a, a son who was hip hopping. And, the, and then I thought, okay, it's gonna be a daughter. So anyway, but I met, anyway, I went up there and uh, at the time I was married to Matthew, who was a documentary filmmaker. And I, I was like, this is a documentary. Like, this is not a play because the stories were hundreds of women had been raped in that poultry plant. So I couldn't even write for a year. I was just like, how are you going to, what's the entrance? And then some person after an AA meeting <laughs> told me this stupid joke, some guy who I didn't, and I was like, open it with a joke because the Catskills was the Borscht Belt, you know? So it's just weird how things come. That's great. Yeah. Well, and so I was like, when you couldn't write for a year about that because after doing the interviews, just because it's overwhelming, right? So it was so devastating. And like the last interview that I went, it was Carmen and Myra Gonzalez. They were the sisters that actually reported this guy. And then it was thrown out of court because it had reached the statute of limitations. And then they were blacklisted from their community. So I, my last interview was with them. And, and uh, when, when I was leaving, they said, don't forget about us. Like people come up here, they take our stories and then we don't. And that's why the very last lines of the play, when Lupe's leaving, we say, Lupe, what? Don't forget. Don't forget about us. Like that's, and so, uh, yeah, it was just too devastating. I didn't know how I was going to zero it down to one story. But I worked with, uh, we had like two or three years of development because the working theater was going to produce it. And then they didn't have the money because it was a bigger cast. And I was like, <laughs> but I was working with Morgan Janess, who I've worked, she was my agent at the time. It's when she was still agent Dean and Lisa Peterson from the beginning. And it was like, probably like what, grad school must feel like because these two women have worked with so many new plays and then I asked Angelina if we could read it around her table 
and we read it and she was like, we have to do this. Cause her, she, her, you know, her family is, they were immigrants. And so, so that's how that happened. And ask when you do the workshop and it's like with the working theater and it's a couple of years, how does that, I know that you have a relationship with them. So it's not the relationship. It's just, you keep checking in with them. It's not, it, not necessarily like a seasonal thing where they're like, oh, in November, we're doing a workshop of your play. It's it's when you're ready to try something. No, we would just, I would just always ask for a date because I won't write unless I have a date. <laughs> like most of us, right? Yeah. Yeah. And then, I, I mean, it was devastating. Like, and then I remember at the time, I had this agent at the time that sent me literary notes from some public theater Public theater, what do they call them? Intern. I think her name was Tiffany or like Candy. And I remember I was at I was at the gym and I was about to go swimming. And I, I looked on my phone and I it was the meanest, it was the meanest um, summary of to the bone. And this was right after working in theater said they couldn't do it. It was said that it was uh, overly dramatic and like this could never happen. And it was, and I was just like swimming and crying and like, what am I going to do? Like, I just felt like, but then Angelina got it. It, So, and then it ended up doing well, but then the the woman from the New York times slammed it. It was the only bad review it ever got said it was melodramatic. Didn't believe it. And I feel like, you know, and every everybody, everything else, it was got nominated for a Pulitzer. It was like, but I feel because the New York Times, this this woman, I forget what's her name. I forgot her name. Anyway, she's given a lot of my friends bad reviews. You don't have to give her press. No, but she gave me a great review on that stupid dance piece that took me like a month to write. Like, so she liked that esoteric, you know what I mean? Anyway, so... Uh, yeah, anyway, but you know what? That it's it's one of the most exciting things that I've ever been part of. And then we did it in Oakland. And when did you, I'm going to ask about that, but when did Lisa get involved? Like when did well, a director and really it's when did the director because it sounds like Morgan's in conversation with you the whole yeah. time. Yeah. Well, when I had the first half written, I had met I met Lisa through Coleman at a New York Theater Workshop uh retreat. That Coleman and I just like somebody canceled and they invited Coleman and I at the last minute. And so I met her and then I asked her actually to direct exit cuckoo, but she was busy. And then I asked her if she would direct the first read through of this rough draft, just to see if it was something she'd be interested in or if we were compatible. So she was at the beginning, she was very much at the beginning and she had worked with my friends, Richard Montoya and the culture clash, those guys, and she had directed Luis Alfaro's plays. And so I thought like it might be a good fit. And we ended up working really well together. Right. And when I, uh, I guess I'm sort of asking because I want people to know that they should ask people to do things. And like, when well, I always ask people. Right, yeah. It's that, my personality. When you're doing that first reading, it's not like, oh, we're doing a first public thing at the thing. It's we're reading. I want to hear what it is. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Just around a table. Yeah, and getting somebody involved. And I hadn't, yeah, I'd never written that kind of a play before. Like, and uh, so at the end of it, she said, well, it's clear, uh, it's clear that you have that. No, she said, I thought I was, that was the play. 
she's like, well, this is the first act. And I was kind of like, oh, uh, you know, inside I was doing that. I was like, okay. <laughs> but she was right. And then like, I think, oh my God, I wrote the second act. I did, and I've never done this before. I've never done it since. I did an entire weekend on black coffee and Hershey kisses with almonds. I was so crazy amped and I just got out the second act. And so, but then like Morgan, they were just so, they were so nice to me. They were so like, you have the, you like Morgan and I spent an hour going over titles, wings and bone, da, 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 da. blood and <laughs> blood and like, you know, and uh, yeah. So I, I have great love in it. And I remember when we actually did it, I just remember like consciously saying, enjoy this moment, like approaching the theater, like don't be so stressed out. Cause there was some craziness, even in the cast, there was an actress who was changing lines, asking to change lines, us saying no. And then Lisa Peterson saying no. And then she would change it. And uh, that, that, that was a little crazy, but I, I just kept saying, this is a, uh, it, it changed my life, that whole experience. Yeah, it, it's funny to think about. I have a couple of thoughts on it, but one is the trauma that can distract us, you know, that we can let happen. And the truth is, I'm glad you were saying enjoy the moment because you wrote the play. The play was important because you did the work. You found a way to do it. People, people invested in it and you. Yeah, and then it's and it's happening and it's and it's interesting to me that you're like I set out to write the great American play, <laughs> uh, which is a pretty high bar. I know it's like so here I have this like massive insecurity, and yet this this complete like like why not you know also well like, yeah. just try just try, and and it felt like that's when I saw it that's what I thought I was I wasn't yeah that's what I thought I was seeing. You know, seeing I, I was thinking Odette's more than oh, I love Odette's. You know, uh, Steinbeck, but I was thinking that. Or even parts there was parts of it like I I'm like Arthur Miller, like some of the like view from the bridge when they call the you know, he's yeah. it was born in America or like that whole thing. Like I had that was one of the first plays I did was View from the Bridge, and that like you have that in your bones as an actor. Yeah. And if you have any affinity for writing, I was actually talking to Daphne, um, Daphne Ruben Vega on the phone um, last Friday because she's writing. And I'm like, you have to remember that you have all this knowledge and stories in your bones as an actor. Like it can, that can help you. Your body kind of remembers. Right. You know, good storytelling and you know, visceral, you know, viscerally like the a view from the bridge moment for me, you know, the play that hooked me is Death of a Salesman. And oh my God. Yeah. It's just, you know, just a, <laughs> I think of Arthur Miller and the declarative, you know, I am not a diamond dozen, you know, you're Biff Loman, I'm Willie Loman. And, you know, yeah. it resonates so deeply that I'm like, <laughs> anytime I get to writing something and I'm at the end of the play, well, they should just name what they need to name because mm. it works. You know, yeah, and like that whole thing that that interview with Arthur Miller and um, I also did after the fall. I got to play Maggie in After the Fall. Oh, that was like that's probably the best thing I ever did. That was great, and that was in San Francisco, all black, just like you know, blocks and just it was so great. But um, Arthur Miller, what he ta he talks about that the the great writers uh, 
have this burning, I mean, I'm paraphrasing, burning rage and, and uh, about the way of the world works and they, they have not made peace with it and they cannot make peace with it. The, the lesser writers or the, he, he didn't call them mediocre, but he was like, have made peace with it, but the great ones can't. And so I'm like, oh, that's interesting. Like, it's just like when great artists remind you that this burning rage or this sense of injustice, like a lot of people don't have it. Like I could never write the two character romantic comedy. I mean, I, I just feel like there's so many other things uh, and people have said to me, oh, you're the one who writes about social issues, but that's not it. That's not necessarily it. And and even if I was the one, you could say that about Odette's also, right? Or like. Yeah, I, I start to hear that and I think you're the one who does it. And I think, well, I think everybody who does it to theater that's interesting is doing that. Everybody yeah. that we know to this day and that we still, the plays that resonate. The two character romantic comedy is lovely for the evening that I'm at the theater, <laughs> you know? Yeah, and sometimes like, you know, sometimes you get, and, and and that's not even to diminish comedy or even to diminish a two character play. I just haven't done that one yet, you know? And so, the, but I think that thing about, you know, it's funny because that thing about uh, you're not at peace with it, you haven't come to terms with it and you won't, I think, whether you will or not is different than I think the idea that you write about the things that you you that keep you up at night that that, that you're obsessed about. Mm-hmm. You know, that's, that's what the only thing that's going to keep me showing up to my computer every day. I know. I want to ask about to the bone because you're doing a benefit about what is the benefit that's happening December seventh. Yeah, I was thinking about uh, the women that I interviewed and the goal of it um, back then was to bring the women that I interviewed or the community that I interviewed to the Cherry Lane, but we could never figure out a time because they were always working. So then um, we were going to be part of a 24-hour vigil for farm workers um, uh, a few months ago, Um, but obviously that didn't happen. We were going to go up there and... I mean, anybody who would like come, like Paolo was game, but we were trying to get as many people original from the original New York cast. We were going to camp out there like and do a reading at the vigil, right, for the workers. But that didn't happen. So then, you know, like this whole coronavirus thing, and I'm thinking, well, what can I do? Like we were doing, we were going to do the Wasteland, T.S. Eliot at uh, Oakland Theater Project. We were in rehearsal, equity cut us because of the numbers we're going to do it again in the spring but um in a drive-in theater and I was just sitting around going what can I do like and 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 also everybody's in this boat so I'm not so special that something got canceled but what can I actually do to to help people that are like that aren't theater so I called Mark Pleasant and I was like what do you think about doing a zoom benefit with rural migrant ministries Sandy Oxnard you know the original New York cast, and they were like, yes, yes, yes. So we had like, yeah, and now Eve Ensler may, uh, I just asked her if she would introduce it or if, you know, somebody, I was hoping like America Ferrer or somebody, you know, somebody fancy who could bring a lot of like, oh, she, you know, like that kind of thing. But uh, but we've been on the, um, you know, on, you know, planning it on Zoom. And so that's going to happen. Everybody said yes from the original New York cast. 
funny to think, yeah, that's, that's, it's good. Funny when you think about needing to get somebody fancy with the more eyeballs on it. I feel like if Eve Zensler is introducing it, that should be, that's big enough. The play is big enough. The cause is big enough. I, I hope, plus you're going to be on this pod. So the fact that that's, this whole audience will go. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah. That'll be great. That'll be great. They'll see it. And then the uh, Oakland Theater Project did it. We did, did the West Coast version of it, and uh, yeah, and so they're gonna they're gonna be part of it too. And uh, yeah, they. I actually Clifford Odets is the reason that I'm working with Oakland Theater Project because they did a production of Waiting for Lefty that my friend was in, and I was just going to see her, and I was kind of like my whatever like my ego well my father-in-law wasn't waiting for lefty <laughs> you know i had this whole like and i walk in and it was this uh uh antique auto shop in a warehouse in oakland with all these like bleachers in the round and all of a sudden this huge beautiful black woman starts singing gospel and then the the ensemble is all like with her stomping their feet and they go into waiting for lefty and it's like one of the most exciting things i've I've probably ever seen, except for maybe like um, Fiona Shaw or Knee High Theater Company, you know, at St. Anne's Warehouse. I mean, just like, and so I literally chased the artistic director. Like, I think I may have tackled him. And I was like, well, I want to have coffee with you. And I was leaving in two days or no, like two, it was like a week. He read my play All Fall Down and wanted to do it. And I was like, here I am again. I go, well, I would rather, I would rather you do to the bone. Can, can we do a reading? And I organized like in 24 hours, a reading of to the bone, <laughs> just my local friends, my, my local girls. And he said, yes, because I didn't want to do all fall down because my family's there and it would devastate my mother. Yeah. Seriously. That's the reason. But so then, then we started working together. They did Exacuku first and then the following year to the bone. And then they commissioned me to write the uh, low, an adaptation of the Lower Depths, which I did last year, called um, Down Here Below. That was for 23 actors. Oh. Morgan was my helper on that one, too, because I had never adapted anything. But I wrote it for the company. And uh, it was, took place in a homeless encampment in Oakland. It was really exciting. It was really exciting. Amazing. Yeah. And then and, it's funny. I'm like, then you, because are you still, are you associate out at Oakland? Is that your, I'm associate artistic director. Yeah. So that, you know, that one tackle after the production is paid off into a deep relationship. <laughs> oh, we're so close. He, yeah. Like I called him. Um, Cause they had to cancel their whole season, like everybody else. And I was, you know, and, I was at, uh, I was on a trampoline, one of those mini trampolines, because the gyms were all closed, and Cuomo was doing his spiel, like he did, we, we were all listening, and I'm like jumping up and down, and he's talking about drive-in theaters, and then I was like, the wasteland, and so I call Michael, and I'm like, what do you think about doing, because we have a parking lot in our space, what do you think about doing the wasteland in a drive-in theater, and I perform it, and we live live projecting, and I, I was, I mean, cause he said no to so many things. So many of my, like, what do you think about this? So many of your trampoline ideas. Yeah. 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 And, and he was like, yeah. So then somebody started kind of adapting it. And then we have the projection, like really great projections, current day, 
like protests and then old, you know, and I learned it. And so we're going to do it. But then I'm curious why it got canceled, because I had looked that you were doing it. And I saw, since you already mentioned, I saw Fiona Shaw do it. Me too. Yeah. which was She's like my hair. I love her so much. Yeah. It was an incredible. Did you see it in New York? Or did yeah. You, yeah. Yeah. In the rundown 42nd Street. Yeah. Amazing. And so when I read you were doing it, I thought, oh, that's perfect, you know, for the the idea of the pandemic and the one person show and yeah right and well also it's like was written right after the spanish flu right so anyway we were in rehearsal and the numbers went went way up and equity said you have to pause it because the numbers went over a certain amount but we're gonna we're announcing our season today or tomorrow we're doing a drive-in season and it's going to be in march april and then um and then you know, Michael also wanted to do uh, Joan, jo Shaw's Joan of Arc. And <laughs> we were on a Zoom call and I go, why do you want to do Shaw's Joan of Arc? Why don't you let me do Joan of Arc? <laughs> not, not act it, but like, like, why don't we do Joan of Arc with this Black Lives Matter and the, uh, the youth? Like, and, and then he was like, okay. <laughs> oh, wait, so now wait. I got a commission. I'm going to be writing Joan. It's called St. Joan. And then in parentheses, burn, burn, burn. And he wants me to write it for one, but I'm going to write it for four. I have I have this idea in my head, just off the top of my head, like four adolescent girls in Oakland. And just because I'm so inspired by the youth, the whole Black Lives Matter, the youth are going to like, they're going to save us. They're going to get us out of this. We don't, that's like a whole nother thing. But let's hope. Uh, it's amazing. I, it's funny, I want to be slightly respectful of time, but I, I am going to go back to this whole courage of saying no, not yet. And, and since you did it with the, <laughs> since you did it with your play, uh, you did it with HBO, you did it with going to New York. Um, yeah, it's something to look at, huh? It's, well, it's really interesting because I think it's courage. And I think there's something to knowing, like, just trusting the fact that you know that when it's right, it'll be right. You know, not getting off, not having to go because someone else is offering you something doesn't mean you have to take it, you know, and, and, and it proves to me listening to you and knowing the amount of work you're doing and different communities you're in that things don't go away. Mm. You, know, you know, it's like you said, you're working with that person from HBO right now on something. You know, and that's yeah, and she recently told me this, it's actually a TV thing, and she's not with HBO anymore. But uh, we're working on this pilot that I've written, and and uh, she actually just recently told me that she thought it was so odd, like I didn't even give it a second thought, and and uh, I love that my husband was so mad at me, but he was going, he went back to grad school. You know, he was like, it was like a financial thing. I think he it, there would have been more money. Sure. But I, I've never been, I've never been interested in money. I mean, I like money. I've been around a lot of money, like as a nanny and, and in my life and I'm comfortable or I'm like as comfortable getting on a private jet as I am like walking through the streets of friggin' whatever Oakland or it doesn't does or into the homeless encampments. Like, but that's not been my driving thing, like money and fame. I just want to do good. And this sounds so hokey. I just want to do good work. And it's not an easy, it's not easy. 
It's it's because you see, especially now with social media, I took a month off of it after seeing the social dilemma because like we see the awards, we see the, you know, commissions, we see the, and I'm as guilty about posting stuff as much as the next person, but it, it sometimes will put me in a state that I'm way behind because I drank, right? I drank during the years that most women have babies or move to the next level of their career. So there is this thing driving me that has been driving me, which is false. But when I'm like, when I'm vulnerable, it's like, you're, you're way behind, you're way behind. Like, and yet then people will tell me they respect me or, and I'll be like, you do (laughs) like (laughs) Sally field. You like me. Yeah. And the other thing that, that I realized very recently is that love has been more important to me since I was 12, finding love than my career, which is so weird. And so kind of, and so now I'm at the point where, and I've done pretty well for love that like my career, not being my, and and career is even weird. My work, Work. like being my primary thing. It's, it's really been about finding love, finding safe because my dad left, right. Finding that, like uh, what I thought was an anchor has been and and worrying about other people's either health or rent or comfort and and then i have this other side of me that's like you know writing these plays that are about strong women and so very recently i decided i'm 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 off i'm taking two years off because i just had pretty a pretty devastating breakup and i'm taking two years off and I'm just going to see what happens if I just focus on my work and my friends and my family and not some romantic um, illusion. <laughs> right. You don't need the illusion there. We can create it in this stage. Yeah. Like what happens if I just, and so like even in writing about adolescence, it's kind of like there's a part of me that wants to go back and kind of, kind of explore that period where like, you know, I have a friend who says that teenage girl, we don't need to find our inner child. We need to find our inner teenager, like who wants shit done yesterday, <laughs> like no patience, hormones raging, you know. And, and also don't believe that there's, you know, the, the raging teenager doesn't think it has to be done the way somebody else has done it before. Yeah, yeah. You know, we can do it our own way. So I have all these young women around me that I, I just adore. I love, I, I mean, a lot of people are annoyed by the younger generation, but I'm like really excited. I'm inspired. And uh, yeah, I guess that keeps, keeps one young. I think, yeah, it does. Um, and they are inspiring because they keep making work and they also don't see the limitations. That's what I love. That's what I love. Yeah. Um, the conversation's great. I feel like I should make sure to ask in case you thought about it, if there's, although the conversation's been, been full of advice, but if you had any things that you would tell a person, early career artist, or, and I think it's funny, one of the things is like, don't be afraid to say not yet, because I always think, it's one of the things that doing these interviews were in our third season, we used to do this live, is people, a couple of people have said that, you know, a no when you get a no from somebody, it, it's not a no forever. It's no, not right now. 
you know, mm-hmm. and I thought that was I'd stuck with me because it's really helpful because I hate hearing no. Oh, it's devastating. I, every time I get a rejection and I've gotten so many, I, I had three last week in one day, an acting rejection, a money rejection, <laughs> a loan, whatever. And then a, a management, some management company asked to read my work and had heard things about me. I got them all in the same day. And I was kind of like, well, it's three. That must be auspicious. But, <laughs> but, the, but there's that thing like when you ask God or higher power or whatever for an answer, they say no not right now, or I actually have something better. Wait, I have something better in mind for you. One thing I will say is, is do something for other people. Like find some people, a community, do charity work, do it, just do anything that will keep you grounded to the world because the theater is not the real world. Theater people, I'm so devastated when people say they're going to stay in touch after a show and then they don't. Like I'm so, and then I'll be, I'll be like, I'll call my mom. She's sensitive for this business, or whatever, or like. But then I'll, I'll go like up to Albany with domestic workers, or I'll like, bring, drop socks off at the homeless encamp, or whatever. You know, like, like my, I think Maya Angelou said, you walk into a room and you think that you're the most wounded person. And then you meet other people who have been swimming in much deeper waters than you've ever known. And it humbles you, right? And it softens you. And I think it's just to find that balance. It was great listening to Lisa talk and talking with her and just Oh, thank you so much for being in that conversation. And I also, I just, I loved the advice she gave. I love at the end when she, you know, talked about doing something for other people, like she did with the workers for To the Bone. And and that thing of service, it's so true. And, you know, we just had the holiday of Thanksgiving and, you know, do a plug for the farm. If you want to do some giving, there's, uh, we're doing our end of our year campaign. It's on our Facebook page, Connecting Here with Giving Tuesday. I also know that uh, a lot of people are struggling and because of COVID and lack of work. And if you can't give, you know, to the farm, it's totally understandable. It's appreciated if you do. But you also don't have to give money. You know, it's giving time. It's showing up for somebody. It's, it's uh, running an errand, anything. You know, that act of getting outside of yourself is really important, especially in a industry where it's focused on individual, you know, what am I creating? What am I doing? And the best way is to get out of yourself and do something for someone else. I really appreciated that Lisa shared that. And, you know, I loved a lot of the, a lot of the conversation and I'm going to remind you just to check out her, the benefit of her play to the bone, the working theater December 7, 7.30. Also, the idea of giving. Um, Sunday is the Farm Theater's grad school audition workshop. If you or someone you know is auditioning for grad school, um, you know, tell them to email us at education at thefarmtheater.org. And there's like two spots left open, but it's free. And since it's online, like a lot of the auditions are this year, we will... Uh, you know, you don't have to be in New York to do it. You can do it anywhere. 
And so, and I'm looking forward to that. It's something we do every year, and I'm so glad that Scott Illingworth uh, volunteers his time to share his expertise as someone who auditions a lot of people because he works and teaches at NYU grad acting. And really glad that he's open about the whole experience and the and the value of grad school and and you know whether it's right for you or what you're looking for. It's a, it's always a good experience. So if you know anyone who's interested in that that Sunday, and they should. Uh, you know, send us an email and we'll hook them up. Um, yeah, and with that, in the spirit of generosity, thank you for everybody who's been listening during COVID. It really, you know, makes me happy to know that we're still having the conversations and we're having a larger conversation with it and staying connected with our community and appreciate you recommending it and sharing it to other people. And if you're looking for something generous to do outside of yourself, you can always go to iTunes and give us the five-star review that has helped uh, people find us and you know i hope uh, hope you have a lovely december and enjoy as we start to head towards the end of 2020 and see if we can find some normalcy and with that we're out <laughs> <laughs>